When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think in a lot of ways, I'm still that girl that believes that she was put on this earth to make music. I think that's the one thing that hasn't changed is I I truly believe God intended for this to be my life. I'm Sid Evans, editor-in-chief of Southern Living Magazine. My guest this week is country music superstar and Kentucky native Carly Pierce. Carly began performing at a young age in church, and in high school, she left her hometown of Taylor Mill for a job singing five shows a day at Dollywood. She eventually moved to Nashville, and although her initial experience in the Music City wasn't easy, she met a producer who would change her life. Today on the show, Carly talks about the unwavering support of her family, the devastating loss of her producer, Busby, her induction into the Grand Ole Opry, and much, much more. Well, Carly Pierce, welcome to Biscuits and Jam. Thank you. Where am I catching you? I am in Jacksonville, Florida for a show tonight. (laughs) Oh, that's exciting. Well, Carly, you've had an incredible year. I mean, you've won all sorts of awards. You just finished the leg of a big tour. You must either be floating on air or totally exhausted. Probably a mixture of both, but I will take this kind of exhaustion for sure, just because these are all of the moments that I have wanted to happen since I was a little girl dreaming of all of this. Well, speaking of being a little girl, you grew up in a small town in northern Kentucky called Taylor Mill, which I believe is just south of Cincinnati. Is that right? That is correct. So I know you haven't lived there for a while, but tell me a little bit about your hometown and what it means to you. Oh my gosh. I mean, my roots came from my hometown and it was a very small community, one stoplight, but it also had kind of the big city only a few miles away with Cincinnati being so close. But I think I I grew up very close to my childhood friends. We all kind of grew up together going to school from the time we were in kindergarten through high school. I obviously left high school when I was pursuing working at Dollywood, but I I grew up with the same people that always knew that I was a singer. And it definitely had just that charm of everybody knows everybody. And I'm really, really thankful that I grew up and had such a, a wonderful childhood in a town that I'm so proud to be from. Yeah. And so do you still have family there? I still have distant family. When I, when I moved to Nashville, my parents, they ended up moving south to Alabama to be closer to the beach. But a lot of my friends are still there and my distant family members. So it's still and will forever be home. When was the last time you went back for a visit? I went back. They just declared that I have my own Carly Pierce Day. And I have signs on the south and north side of the city that say home of country superstar Carly Pierce. So (laughs) I saw a picture of that. So tell me a little bit about your parents 
and what their connection was to Kentucky. Were they born and raised there? My parents were both born and raised in Indiana, but my grandmother, she moved the family down to Kentucky. She was taking care of my great-grandmother, and so we kind of all naturally moved this way when she moved with my grandfather. So I was actually born in Indiana, but raised in Kentucky. And my mom was a music lover. She always had music on, not really country music until I came along. She said the only kind of music that would keep me from crying was country, but she worked in the hair and beauty industry and always sang, but never wanted to pursue anything like that. My dad grew up loving music as well and and can sing as well, but neither one of my parents have ever wanted to be in the spotlight. They can both hold a tune, but they don't want to sing in front of anybody. And what about your grandparents? Was there music on that side as well? So my grandmother on my mom's side, her father worked in the coal mine in Kentucky and had dreams of singing on the Grand Ole Opry one day and never made it, but he wanted to move to Nashville and be an artist. But he had three little girls at home and had to keep food on the table. And my grandparents, they could sing. My grandfather could play the banjo. So there was definitely music in the family, but nobody had ever gone on to pursue it. Well, so you're kind of carrying out some of their dreams. I know that you must be thinking about them when you're standing on that Opry stage. Oh, my goodness. My legal last name is not Pierce. I took that as kind of a paying homage to that side of my family just because I was so close to them and and they loved country music and they're the ones that really instilled in me that I could do this and taught me what it really meant to love country music. So yes, I am so proud and hope that they're proud in heaven. (laughs) So Carly, you've talked a fair bit about your faith and your Instagram actually says Jesus, country music and red wine in that order. I'm wondering if the church was a big part of your life growing up. It was. I was raised Baptist and never missed church, was very involved in my youth group as a kid, sang in church. I feel like the earliest memories that I have of being on a stage where I was in a bluegrass gospel band and we traveled around and played at different churches and tent revivals and trailer hitches of of (laughs) little festivals in the back of churches. I mean, I, I feel like that was where I really began singing is in church. And I still love bluegrass gospel to this day because of that. Okay. So you've got to take me back to like one of those tent revivals. I mean, what was that like? Just sort of paint the scene for me. I played a lot of different situations, we'll call them, in Kentucky. You had to dress a certain way for those. I could not wear pants, so I would wear long skirts and heard people speak in tongues. I've sang in an all-boys prison that was attached to one of the churches. But it was really the first time, I will say, that people were aware that I could sing and were like, oh my goodness, this 11-year-old girl can really sing. And so I feel like in a lot of ways, those were the first moments that I learned how to sing harmony or sing on a microphone or sing with other people and be recognized for it. So Those are some of my fondest memories, but also the weirdest situations that I've been in as a child. (laughs) Well, what a way to discover your talent and to have other people discover it as well. It was really special. So, Carly, we always talk a little bit about food on this show. And I'm wondering if you can take me back to some of the meals that you remember growing up. Mm -hmm. Who was doing the cooking and, and what was on the table? 
I feel like if I'm thinking about the meals that I ate as a kid that I loved, it would be my grandparents. My grandma made amazing chicken and dumplings as a kid. That was something that I loved so much. And then my grandfather was famous for soup beans and cornbread. And his kind of cornbread was the thick, not sweet kind, more like a pancake, but that was how we ate it with collard greens. And it was the best. We've tried to recreate it since he passed and we can't. <laughs> There's something about soup beans that is just so deeply Southern. I'm guessing you don't get to try that very often anymore. I've asked my band, I've asked people just <laughs> along the way if they even know what soup beans are. And they're like, I've never even heard of that. But, you know, it was an assortment of beans, like kind of in a broth. And that was what we had all the time. So I just figured everybody grew up that way, but I guess they didn't. Yeah. And you need that cornbread to sop it all up. Yes, it was the best. That was probably my favorite <laughs> meal as a kid. Was there a restaurant that y'all used to go to that was special to your family or someplace in Taylor Mill or, or nearby that y'all really remember? <laughs> I mean, we weren't fancy. I feel like for any kind of birthday or anything special, we would go to Longhorn. And then we have something in the Cincinnati area. We're known for the chili. So I spent a lot of time at Skyline Chili and Gold Star Chili. It's like the chili and spaghetti and cheese and the cheese conies. So if you're from my area, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that sounds pretty good to me. I'll be back with more from Carly Pierce after the break. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and today I'm talking with Carly Pierce. So you did not have a typical high school experience. I know you've talked about this, but you got a job performing at Dollywood when you were, what, 15, 16 years old? I did. I grew up near Cincinnati, so I saw a lot of the opportunities that would come through Cincinnati and I saw this audition to sing in the country show at Dollywood and I'd been to Dollywood as a kid and I was a really good student so I think my parents knew that I wasn't trying to run away from school. I loved school but everybody knew that I wanted to sing and I saw this just as an opportunity for me to get out of high school so that I could pursue it. And so I asked my parents if I could audition in Cincinnati and they said yes. I don't think they really thought that I was serious. And I ended up getting a job and I presented my parents with a homeschooling program that would get me into college if I wanted to go to college. But I said, I really want to do this. And I promised that I will graduate high school. Can I please do this? And as a kid, you don't even really realize what your parents are sacrificing for you. But my parents are still married. So my mom at the time, packed me up, her 16-year-old daughter, into our cars, and we drove to Pigeon Forge. It was four hours away and moved into a one-bedroom, one-bath, grizzly bear-decorated apartment. Left to my dad in Kentucky to take care of my grandfather that was sick at the time, and I did six shows a day, five days a week, and did my schooling in between and was definitely the youngest. That was where I really feel like I learned how to sing sick and how to put on six shows a day when you don't really feel like doing the third one. I mean, I, I'm very glad that I did that. Well, and you must have really just learned so much. I mean, so much about independence 
and hard work as well as learning how to use your voice. Yeah, I think I learned more in those two years that I was in Pigeon Forge than I had in the however many years I had been performing with different bands in my hometown just because it was the first time that I just felt like I was a part of an ensemble and a part of something that was bigger than just the little girl that sings. And you learn how to perform. You learn who you are on stage a little bit. And I do feel like I learned a lot about performing. And when you're immersed in the Dolly culture, you learn so much just because you want to be like Dolly. Yeah, and probably a lot about stamina. So Carly, you finally moved to Nashville. And I know that it wasn't all rhinestones from day one. What were some of those early months and years like in the city for you? I've been in Nashville 13 years, and I went from being a big fish in a little pond in Pigeon Forge to being a very, very tiny fish in a huge pond when I moved to Nashville. And I played every kind of writer's round that I could when I first started, and I ended up getting a record deal when I was 22 with Sony, and it ended up not working out, which I thought was the end of the world, and heard a lot of no's, heard a lot of, you're a great singer, bye. And that can really mess with you in those formative years of your 20s. And I got to a place where I had heard no so many times. People told me to move home. They told me it wasn't going to happen. I would have been really great in the 90s, but it just, I was dated. So Carly, you've been through some pretty tough things for someone so young. You lost a partner and a producer who was known as Busby to brain cancer when he was just 43 years old. And I'm sure you're still processing this and still dealing with this. But I'm wondering if you can just tell me a little bit about him and why he had such an impact on your career. Yeah, Busby is the one person that said yes. Busby found me. I was a backup singer and an Airbnb cleaner. And he told me that he believed in what I was doing and wanted to work with me. And we started working together and we wrote every little thing. And he produced my first two albums. The last song he ever worked on before he got sick was I Hope You're Happy Now. And I ended up winning single of the year for that song. And I think that's a pretty special thing that I'll always have. And we were so close. He was brilliant, just a brilliant musician and a brilliant songwriter. But he was such a a light in my life of building me up and being a mentor and being with me in those beginning stages where I had lost faith in myself and helping me regain that. And he will forever be such a special person in my life, somebody that was gone way, way, way too soon. And something that for me is so special that I get to keep his legacy alive with the songs that we wrote and the songs that I have written about him. And he's forever played such a key role in my life. What's the biggest thing that he taught you about songwriting? Mm, Probably to not overthink it. I definitely had a tendency when he first met me to overthink it. And he goes off of feel and he's not afraid to say the wrong thing. And he'll just say what he feels. And I think I learned a lot from that. So you've also been through a lot personally on the relationship side of the coin. We've all been living through the awfulness of this pandemic, but on top of that, you went through a divorce from Michael Ray in the middle of it. And I don't want to dwell on this, but you know, you've written about it a lot. You've basically written a whole album about it. What is different about you now than the 19 year old who moved to Nashville? Oh my goodness. So many things. I had a lot of innocence and and was quite naive in the beginning of thinking this would be 
easier than it was, I suppose. I think that I didn't have any unwavering faith in myself at that point. I think nobody had ever told me that I couldn't do something. Life hadn't hit me, I guess, as it always does for us later in life. But I think in a lot of ways, I'm still that girl that believes that she was put on this earth to make music. I think that's the one thing that hasn't changed is I, I truly believe God intended for this to be my life. And I wish that I could tell that 19 year old girl to just hang on because it's going to be much better than she ever imagined that it would be. The hardships that I suffered in my early 20s or my divorce or losing Busby, I'm now able to impact people in a way that's so special that I wish everybody could experience. I kind of wish everybody could go through a divorce and get to write an album about it and then see how many people, their lives are changed through it. I mean, that's a powerful thing. <laughs> it sure is. You wrote a song on the album called What He Didn't Do, which talks about this whole thing in a very Southern way. I mean, I love that line that says, Mama always said, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Everybody's asking what the hell happened, wondering why it all went wrong. Mama always said, if you can't say something nice, then don't say anything at all. And I've got my side of the story, and he's got his side too. So I ain't gonna go and tell you what he did, but I'll tell you what he did. Did it feel good to write that song? It did. That one, I remember calling my mom after I wrote it, and I called her on the way home, and I read her the lyrics just because I was like, uh-oh, this one's something. And it's been really powerful to see how fans have latched onto that and found their own stories in that and honestly regained their confidence and their power through that song. I think we can get so focused on, well, they didn't do this, and they didn't do this, and they didn't do this, but really at the end of the day, are your needs being met in this relationship? And I feel like if it's a question, then I would say it probably isn't. And I just, this is a really special song for me. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a fun song too. If anything fun can come out of something so difficult. I've got to ask you about another one called Dear Miss Loretta, which is on that same album. And I could probably spend the rest of this episode talking about this song, but I'm wondering if you can tell me how that came to be and also how you ended up singing that song with Patty Loveless. Well, my grandmother really was a coal miner's daughter, like we talked about, and I've always loved Loretta. My grandparents loved Loretta, and Blue Kentucky Girl was the first song that I ever learned how to play on guitar. So I've always loved her, but I think going through what I have gone through, I think I really started to dive into who she was as a songwriter, and then it made sense to me, oh, you are really writing exactly what you lived and you're unapologetic about it and she pushed the boundaries so much as a female and as a writer back then even some of the songs you know you think about the pill and it's like I, I don't know that I would have the nerve to write that now I just started to really be like wow I relate to her a lot and so I wanted to write this song kind of as a letter to her of all the ways that I felt like she influenced me during this season in my life and I sang it on the Opry and people loved it and it has a few of those <gasps> lines in it which I love you know I ain't been a widow but I've been a wife that's always one that gets them going 
And Patty Loveless has always been one of my absolute favorite artists in the whole world. And I just reached out to her actually to sing on a different song on the album. And she was like, you know, I heard you on the Opry because she listens to the Opry. And she said, I heard you sing this song about Loretta and I really want to sing on that. And so we kind of reimagined it as two Kentucky girls singing to our Kentucky queen. And it was just one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. And Loretta loves the song, which is so fun. And it's very special to me. A verse? Sure. I'll sing you the first verse. Let's see. Dear Miss Loretta, I ain't ever met you, but I'm lonely tonight, and I just bet you might have some wisdom to pull off that shell. Your songs were all fun till I lift them myself. Oh, I just love it. The lyrics are great. And it just sounds very Loretta. It's channeling her spirit. So it's it's really just a beautiful song. <laughs> so Carly, let me ask you about just one more. You did yes. a duet on that album called Never Wanted to Be That Girl with Ashley McBride, who was on this podcast, who I love. It just won an ACM award. And Ashley grew up in the small town in Arkansas. And I just wonder if you felt a connection with her over that kind of small town Southern background. I did. I mean, I asked her to write with me based solely on just playing a few shows with her. And even though we're very different, if you look at both of us or you hear our music, we're quite different just in who we are as women. But if you really listen to the way we sing, it very much mirrors each other and parallels in a lot of ways. And so when I asked her to write, it was obviously because I was a fan, but also just because I felt like we were cut from the same cloth. And when we wrote this song, I totally was right about that. And I think when you grow up the way that she and I did, just with music being everything, and especially just a true owning and honoring country music in the way that we do, it came out. And I'm so happy that I had that instinct to write with her because I knew we would do something good. Well, it's just a great song, and I'm not surprised at all that it won that award. And I hope it's not the last of your collaborations with her. I would love to do something else with her. She's the best. So, Carly, you had a pretty exciting thing happen last year when you were inducted into the Grand Ole Opry by none other than Dolly Parton, which was so fitting after the way that your career started. Can you just tell me how that went down and what that felt like for you? I mean, the Grand Ole Opry was my lifelong dream, and I had played over 85 times when they asked me to be a member. So they knew that I loved it so much. And they tricked me by telling me that I was going to be doing a Dollywood commercial. So I went and I was getting ready for this Dollywood commercial and then Dolly walked out. And I obviously was shocked, but also was like, oh my God, Dolly's gonna do this freaking Dollywood commercial with me, that's amazing. And then she kept talking about the Opry and I was like, oh my God, no way, no way, no way, no way. And it's kind of one of those things where you're like, are you gonna say it, are you gonna say it? Or what is this, I don't really know. And when she asked me, I mean, it was just, my entire life flashed before my eyes of just like, oh my God, I wish I could go back and tell my 15 year old self that auditioned for Dollywood that Dolly Parton was going to ask you one day to be a member of the Opry. I mean, it was to get that kind of an invitation from one of the absolute greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time for females. It was mind blowing. I'll never be able to even 
grasp what happened that day. Well, they must tell that story to every girl that is going to sing at Dollywood. (laughs) So it seems like you have a little bit of an obsession with your dogs based on Instagram. And you just have to tell me their names. And I'm wondering if they've helped you get through the last year. Oh, my goodness. So I got June. June Jolene Pierce is her name. And I got her the month (laughs) that I filed for divorce. And she has been just the queen of my world. I can't even describe the unconditional love of that little thing. And my parents ended up getting her brother from the same litter a couple weeks later. And his name is Johnny, Johnny Sue Pierce. So June and Johnny. And they're just the light of our lives. They don't travel with me just because they don't really do well traveling. So they stay part-time with my parents and part-time with me. And they give unconditional love. And I don't really know what I would do without them. Well, I know you must miss them when you're on the road. I do. It's so hard. (laughs) Well, listen, I just have one more question. And that is, what does it mean to you to be Southern? Oh, my gosh. I think it means to tell it like it is, to not shy away from your truth, keep your fire, but remain classy while doing it. (laughs) Well, you do all of those things and I hope you keep doing it. So um, Carly Pierce, thank you so much for being on Biscuits and Jam. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Carly Pierce. You can catch her on tour this summer with Kenny Chesney, or you can check out her latest album, 29 Written in Stone, wherever you get music. Make sure to visit carlypierce.com for summer tour dates, social media, and more. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Make sure to come back here next Monday for my conversation with bluegrass legend Del McCurry. I'll see you then. <laughs>